So I have a bit of a confession to make. When we were going through the fruit of the Spirit, I, I assumed that I would get one of two, joy and patience. Joy, because my wife's name is Joy, and ha, 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 all the songs about joy. But patience, because I think I can grow in that area. Typically, peace is the one I skip over. I, you know, I sing the song, love, joy, peace, and I kind of quickly run through it. And I realized that I really don't have a full grasp on peace. And so, I recognized what peace was not. Peace is not apathy, meaning doing nothing. But I also recognize peace is not what we usually call peace, which is a ceasefire. You know, you have an issue with someone else, and you don't, you don't really say anything, nothing direct to them. You kind of just, ha in your mind, you're going, oh yeah, I'm building up offenses. Yeah, you didn't pour that coffee right last time. I'm gonna get you. So we have that. So I had to search deep. So inspired by um, Brian's search earlier, um, I decided to go to one of the, the great theologians of our time, Siri. <laughs> so, peace is the state of harmony characterized by the lack of violent conflict and freedom from the fear of violence. And when I think of my own, own journey, I think I've had a lot of disharmony the threat of violence. I used to work at a place um, that I'm a bit uh, ashamed, um, and I'm, this is my confession here. I used to work at Costco. But not, no, no, that's not it. I used to be a rotisserie chicken clerk. <laughs> and there was a guy who worked in the merchandising side we're gonna call him James for now. He saw me talking to his girlfriend and we, got, and we were just angry at each other. We'd look at each other, give each other death stares and I would go home imagining, I can't wait to see this guy in the alley. I can't wait to see this guy in the street. I'm gonna do something. So I met, I met James, well, I almost slipped and gave the real name. <laughs> and I told him that, you know what, I was waiting for you. And at this point I had just been newly saved. And James said to me, why didn't you find me? And the thing I realized about peace is that we are all storytellers and the heroes of our own mythology. We create these fantastical scenarios where we're triumphant. We kind of take our best action, action movie and put ourselves as the hero. Oh yeah, I'll do that. Or better yet, we put, put ourselves in that lawyer debate situation and they said, yeah, if they say that, I'm gonna say this. And we go back and forth and we're arguing and we win these arguments 100% of the time because we are so brilliant. But what it only shows us is that we lack peace. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is multifaceted. And like peace, like joy, like love, God is working in you in order to work through you. 
Or better said, Jerry Bridges puts it like this, because peace is a fruit of the Spirit, we are dependent upon the Spirit's work in our lives to produce the desire and the means to pursue peace. But we are also responsible to use the means he has given us and take all practical steps to attain both peace, peace within and peace with others. But if you're like me, it is so hard. Peace is so hard to, to attain. Especially if you feel wronged by someone. Or if you've wronged someone and you think there's no chance of reconciliation. There are, as we go today, we're gonna to look at three ways Three reasons why it's difficult to cultivate peace. Because we can break down what peace is. It's harmony, it's unity. It's without threat, without fear. But why is it so difficult? It's difficult to cultivate peace first because I want to serve myself unchallenged. I want to serve myself unchallenged. The fruit of the Spirit is like an antidote to our self-serving attitudes. Or better said, the desires of our flesh are opposed to desires of, this, of the Spirit. Let's go back into Galatians 5. And we're gonna read just how this leads into the fruit of the Spirit. So let's begin in verse 16. Actually, let's begin at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for those, these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warned you, I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And we're gonna, hang, we're gonna hover on peace. That flesh is that sinful part that wants to do what pleases ourselves. It wants to do what serves ourselves. And we do not like people challenging it. I want to do what I do, and I don't want to have to make an apology for it. Even if it upsets someone else. The desire, the spirit, is to keep us from doing what we would want to do. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to be kept from that. Children hate being told no. Just like adults hate being told wait. We want what we want and we want it right now. This has tremendous implications for our relationships. 
We lack peace externally and relationally because we don't want to serve anyone else. We'd rather be served than to serve. And think about this. Sometimes we prefer a hostility to peace. And sometimes this desire to serve others breeds hostility when our service to ourselves is interrupted. Sometimes I'm bothered by the thought that they hosted that family, but they didn't host ours. We're closer. I'm bothered that when I was sick, you didn't check in on me. Do you see how many, how many meals I prepared for you? I can't believe you're trying to guilt me into serving again. I serve everywhere, and you're gonna ask me to serve again? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I do? I am busy. How dare they not serve me? Legitimate hurts can destroy peace. Imagine narratives can destroy peace. Because sometimes we get in a conflict and we assume the motives of the other. Implied, implied slights can destroy peace. Peace with others is harmony. Peace with others is seen in unity. Peace with others is shown in our willingness to serve each other. Peace is characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. And like the rest of it, it's supernatural. But we're called to be eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. Peace is something we must fight for in the church. But we often don't want to. For, for three reasons we want to serve ourselves. One, we want to do this, we want peace without conflict. Now, let's get, let's get the context here. Paul is addressing, addressing a church that was set with those who had come in and said, you need to do this in order to be saved. Jews telling the Gentiles to be Jewish. The Judaizers, as they're called, want the Gentiles to add to the work of salvation, already accomplished through the work of Christ dying on the cross for their sins. Paul fights here for the unity in the bond of peace. Earlier, he says that there's no racial, there's no difference in sex, there's no difference in status, but all are in Christ. There is no division that there should be. There should be no division because the ground of the church is Christ. I've been in situations where I have been in a church where all the men sit up front and the women sit in the back. I've been in a church where white people are on one side, black people are on the other side. I've been even in a church, a church conference planning, where, where we have one group, one ethnic group against another. What we're talking about is when, when we neglect peace are the seeds that breed church disunity. I'll say it, church splits. And sometimes it's not people just leaving, it's everybody gathering in their little pockets, commenting about each other. Talking at a barbecue while we're flipping the burgers. Oh, I hated that sermon. You know what, I am just so fed up with this guy. Do you know, did you see what he did last time? 
He has the audacity to speak to me? I can't believe we were serving together and she didn't even say hello. Her whole family's like that. But we don't want the conflict that seems to, that we need to fight for peace. We do not want to approach each other and say, you know what? We are not, something's not right here. It's kind of ironic, right? You have to fight for peace. Peace comes with conflict. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. But the conflict he had to do, had to deal with, was against himself. That's why we have the cross of Christ. There was conflict. He fought for it to achieve peace. Sometimes we too easily let bitterness fester. We're too scared that the conflict in the sake of sake of reconciling and renewing peace, we would rather just avoid it. Lifeguards have to be prepared to save someone that is drowning. We know that. But what we don't often think about is that person who's drowning is flailing to try and survive. Sometimes a lifeguard has to be prepared to get hit. Are you eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace even when you might get hit? Jerry Ridges has this other quote, and I, and I'm, I can't help but re- read it because we might think peace is something easy. The pursuit of peace does not include an easygoing, peace at any price kind of attitude. It does not include capitulating to wrong or injustice just for the sake of maintaining appearances. That kind of behavior often leads instead of to strife within ourselves. The conflicts that are disturbing our peace with others must be courageously but graciously faced and dealt with. Pursuing peace does not mean running away from the causes of discord. Peace invites conflict because it's worthy and it's necessary. We also don't like to pursue peace because it disrupts our service of ourselves because it's not convenient. So I only want peace when it's convenient. Look back at verse 20 here. I want you to zero in on, on these three, some three, four, five, six, seven words. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. Those sound like group things, right? But they start with usually one person. One person who stirs it up, who maybe slanders another, gossips about another, graciously withdraws from another. To affect peace in a situation is going to take time. It's going to take energy. And it may take 
you away from the things you want to do. The things you need to do. Pursuing peace is inconvenient. You have that uncomfortable conversation that needs to happen. And unfortunately, it can't happen over text. It has to happen over the phone or a coffee date. And it takes long. It's awkward. And always comes, at least for me, when I have everything else settled, everything is else at peace. Have you had those times where everything is so good and calm, the week is clear on the calendar, and you are going finally, a time of rest. And then it happens. The conflict, that disharmony. Sometimes, it's right before work inconvenient with your children. That actually happened this week with me. Sometimes it's during vacation or a weekend inconvenient where I need to go up to somebody and actually address an issue. It's right after service when you're expecting to go home because you're expecting visitors inconvenient. It's stopping them in the parking lot and saying, hey, we need to talk. It's the middle of the soccer game, inconvenient. I just want to watch my daughter kick that one goal. I know she's going to do it. Oh, but I need to talk to you. Peace is not convenient. Sometimes I don't have the feelings bubbling up. Oh, I want to solve this. Oh, great. No, I don't. But it's necessary. And there's the... I know this is going to blow up and it's going to lead to more conversations. Inconvenient, but it's worth it. Peace with others comes at a cost, but we often avoid peace or avoid pursuing peace because it's inconvenient to us. Inconvenient to us. And let's recognize this is from God. God produces peace within us, but also gives us the situation, the climate, so we can develop peace. Don't think for a moment the trials that you're encountering or the conflict you're encountering are happening by accident. God is using it to stretch you and produce the fruit of peace in you. We don't like it when there's, we don't want peace without, with conflict. We want peace when it's convenient, but we also want peace without being commanded. You're probably, as I'm up here, you're probably thinking to yourself, Rowan, you don't know how hard it is. You don't know what they do. You don't know what I did. I confess I don't. Just like you don't know how hard it's for me. But God does still command us. However, we don't like it. It's right. Sometimes it doesn't feel natural, but that's God stretching us that it will be. You're producing, the, you're producing peace as a fruit of the Spirit is supernatural, and yet God commands it, so we are responsible. God wants to produce it in, this in us, but we must cultivate peace. We bristle against commands because they don't serve us. 
And the command challenges our self-service. Look at some of the commands that we're gonna put on the screen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is my mom's favorite. Anytime my mom would cut somebody off because there was something turbulent, she would say, I tried. <laughs> I tried to live at peace. Here's an indication that you fit that qualification. If you've done everything and you mourn the loss of a relationship, you grieve it, and you've tried your utmost, that others will come alongside and say, it is enough. Because we love to give up way too easy. I love to give up way too easy. With a family member that you are in that silent conflict, that cold war where you've built up armaments on both sides and you're just waiting for the right moment to let it all lash out, but at this moment, we just are at ease. If possible, so far as it depends on you, have you gone out of your way? So, let, let, so let, then let us pursue what makes for peace for mutual upbuilding. Finally, brothers, aim for restoration. Aim for, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Be at peace among yourselves. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what's the solution here? What in the world is the solution? Because we are so bent to serve ourselves. What is the solution? The solution is this. Repent of my pride and reconcile because the gospel brings peace. Some quick steps. Repent and pray for a heart that desires peace. Because let's, let's be honest, sometimes we don't desire it. Discern the real issue. It's not because they spilled coffee on you. It's not because they didn't shake your hand. It's not because they didn't invite you over. What is the real issue? Here's a difficult one. Go to the person and confess your role in the conflict. Strife, fits of anger, dissensions, rivalries. It, it may take one, but it involves others. Share your hurt and how to make amends. Because sometimes we're kind of left in this nebulous space of 
okay, I've shared my hurt, I've, I've gone to the person, what now? How can we restore this relationship? Strategically, how can I trust you? How can I trust you with my heart? How can we have harmony? Ask for forgiveness. Remembering you're not going to bring it up to that person again. You're not going to bring it up to others. You're leaving it as a settled matter with God. Unfortunately, wanting to serve ourselves unchallenges isn't the only thing that makes cultivating peace difficult. It's also that I want to believe my fears unquestioned. I want to believe my fears unquestioned. Peace is not just an external and horizontal with others. Peace is also internal. And we've all been there, that sleepless night, agonizing over the financial situation, or an interaction with work, or the loss of appetite as we strategize to escape an impossible dilemma, or the worry, the constant worry, of a child settling into patterns of sin that you know will lead to something disastrous. or a marriage that's breaking down and you don't know how. How are we gonna solve this? And simply said, peace is lost. You can't stop thinking about it. And so you go to food, the binge watching, the endless scroll, you go to alcohol, you might go to sex, some other substance to numb it. But not, and you know it's going to only numb it for a moment. And then when someone comes to address your fear, your anxiety, you dismiss it because they don't understand. Or my personal favorite, I've tried it already. It didn't work. Peace of mind is difficult to grasp because we so tightly hold on to our anxiety that there's no space for Christ. There's no space for him. So I have two questions in these moments. What is your prayer and what is your preoccupation? What is your prayer? What is your preoccupation? And you're gonna tell me, Rowan, I am praying, I am praying. But what are you praying? So, if you can go with me to Philippians chapter 4. Now, Paul addresses this question of what is prayer. And I read from a bit of verse 5 and lead on. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
In order to have that peace, we must pray trusting prayer. It must be a trusting prayer. The Lord is at hand. Other translations have it, the Lord is near. So sometimes we think it's um, uh, that the Lord is coming again. Actually, it's more likely that it is that the Lord is close by. He is present. And so we don't need to be anxious. And so it's a trusting prayer because we are, it's a thankful prayer because we know he invites you to call out to him. He invites you to call out to him, knowing that that anxiousness is dealt with a God who is over all, blessed forever. It's a thankful prayer. It's a thankful prayer because we know who God is. If you go through the Psalms, you find the foes are against me. I can't sleep. I am just torn up. And then they end with the thought that God has done the work. He has done it in the past. He is faithful to do it now. Because God is faithful and faithful to establish peace. He knows and desires us to thank him. So some of you can see that I'm kind of lipping, licking my lips kind of dry. So I haven't had liquid most, most today. Um, this morning, I'm not going to spare you the details, but I was unwell. Like crazy unwell. Like, I didn't think I was going to make it. I texted Brian, oh, you may have a backup sermon here because this is not going to go right. There's a couple times Joy kind of got into like the quick, ready to go because she thought I was going to throw up. But the study of this of peace has kind of transformed that for me. So my stomach is killing me right now. Full disclosure. Well, I'm not going to give you full disclosure because (laughs) you don't need that image in your mind. (laughs) But I was thankful, not for that other part, um, but I was thankful that the Lord is going to stretch me here. And that he set my mind at peace here. So I'm thankful for it. But also, I I, I am, there's expectant prayer. Because God, if I am entrusting my request to him with thanksgiving, he is going to give me the peace of God. It's not a peace as the world gives it. It is not this false pretenses, there are conditions to it. It is a peace that surpasses understanding. I can't conceive of it. I don't know why I'm happy here where I haven't drank any water and the hope is that I don't throw up in the middle of the sermon. But I'm thankful. But that's the peace of God because it doesn't make sense. 
It's a peace that God himself guards. Other translations, he garrisons, he protects your heart and mind because it's a battlefield. That's why we're told to take our thoughts captive. And it's in Christ Jesus. The last part is so important because I can't have peace of mind or internal peace if I'm in active sin. If I'm in active rebellion, I can't have peace. Sin will break that harmony. It will dismantle peace. But God doesn't only offer my prayer. He, he talks about my preoccupation. Because the fruit of the Spirit is produced, but it doesn't remove by God, but it doesn't remove our responsibility to pursue it internally. Peace is hard to attain because we believe our fears unquestioned and we're often preoccupied with them. We sort of nurture our fears, our disharmony within ourselves, like a baby. You know, new mom, new dad, oh, look at this, look at my fear, oh, look at this. So isn't it so cute? Oh, and then we feed it because we keep thinking about it. It's a, little, it's a little child, and you start playing pretend. Imagine, imagine if, so, if, if this worked out. Imagine if this worst case scenario happens. Imagine if it gets even worse. And then we keep feeding it, it's like a teenager. And we become like a helicopter parent, so when somebody questions it, we say, no, no, this is my child. You don't talk to my child like that. And we keep going and going until it is a full adult and won't leave your house. because we're preoccupied with that thought. But Paul continues how we pursue pursue peace, our preoccupation. Look at verse eight of Philippians four. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and what? The God of peace will be with you. So in the prayer, the Lord is near. At the end, when you're preoccupied with the right thoughts, the God of peace will be with you. The presence of God is with you when you are in this to establish, to reconcile, to bring peace. The Lord is near to give us peace as we cry out in trusting, thankful, expectant prayer. And as we think regularly, rightly, he is with us as a God of peace, the God of peace. Here's the solution. Kind of capsize. Remember who who God is and turn from unbelief to trusting him. Remember who God is. Rehearse the goodness of God. Rehearse that Christ has died for you. Rehearse that he is risen. Rehearse that you have an advocate with the Father. Rehearse that you have a high priest on the throne of grace. Rehearse this and turn from unbelief that God cannot enter into this and it disturbs your peace. Enter into a trust in the God of peace who is near. Here's a quote from the Valley of Vision. It's a prayer. 
I have cast my anchor in the port of peace, knowing that the present and future are in the nail-pierced hands. Thou art so good, wise, just, holy, that no mistake is possible for thee. Thou art the fountain and source of all law, which what thou commandest is mine to obey. I yield to thy sovereignty all that I am and have. Do with me as thou wilt. Thou hast given me silence in my heart in place of murmurings, complaints. Keep me my wishes from growing into willings, my willings from becoming fault-finding with thy providences, and have mercy on me. The reason why peace often escapes us is because we're so focused on the deliverance and not the peace that God provides. We're focused on the deliverance and not the peace that God provides. If we went back through Philippians 4 and just that, God in no way, Paul in no way gives a sense that they're going to be delivered. He doesn't. The last obstacle in cultivating peace is that I want to worship my idols unashamed. I want to worship my idols unashamed. The God of peace doesn't ex- coexist with imposters claiming equal rights to the throne. We cherish our sin and we quickly move from disguising to exalting it as the rulers of our lives. In the list of the works of the flesh, in that same verse 20 that we referred to, that first one at the beginning of that verse, and also sandwiched in the middle of all those, is idolatry. We want, we demand, we judge, we punish if we don't get what we want. We hate gods in the form of pleasure, status, control. If the demands of our newly established gods are not worshipped, we prepare to unleash our wrath. Most conflict, hostility, begins with unmet desires, unfulfilled longings, unheard expectations. Things may be good, but we want them even at the risk of relationships in our own peace. To those of you, peace with others or the subjective peace seems unattainable. The whole thought of cultivating peace seems like a foreign concept that is probably because you don't have the root of peace. You have put up all your idols against Christ. The reason is you are living at open war with God. This is not necessarily the intent of that in the fruit of the Spirit. Peace with others is, and then maybe subjectively, peace within ourselves. But the fruit of the Spirit cannot be cultivated unless you have the root in the God of peace. Some of you choose to worship anything or anyone but God. It's like an American writer, American writer Henry Thoreau. He was a man who said he was at harmony with nature. And when somebody asked him on his deathbed, do you want to make peace with God? He goes, I'm not aware of having any quarrel with him. Your sin 
is an act of high treason. Every sin you have declared war against the eternal God of peace. But here's the thing. He sets the terms of peace between himself and man and even provides a mediator, Christ Jesus, who comes in to the fray and the war that sin has wrecked on this whole creation and he lays down his life, sinless, perfect, to be our peace, to break down any wall of division, any wall of division between each other within ourselves, but more importantly, between God and us. And he substitutes himself as the perfect peacemaker on the cross, being treated as a war criminal, where you are simply rescued from enemy lines and given his portion. He is our peace. He provides us with peace. So we're in two camps. Either you are describing allegiance with God, or you're declaring that you will not have Jesus to reign over you. I will not worship him. I will not be at peace with him. Here's the solution. Be reconciled with God. But some of you have already been rescued from enemy lines, but still act like you're not at peace with God. You still pick up the weapons of war. You still reach for every sinful act to throw it at the throne. You refuse counsel. You refuse to repent from unashamedly worshiping ourselves and something else. Repent and be reconciled. We are supposed to be called proclaimers of peace. We, we are supposed to put on the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. We have the message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. When is the last time you proclaim peace to those around you? When's the last time you, pro- you proclaimed the gospel of peace from the God of peace? Through him, to reconcile all things to himself, whether on heaven and earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. If you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, which he has proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which Paul became a minister, which you are a minister. Chamberlain, the great prime minister, or the infamous prime minister of England, went to visit Hitler. And we've heard the story. He met with Hitler. He thought that, he thought that Hitler was going to capitulate to him. And he comes back, and it's this momentous occasion. He comes with this paper in his hand. We have a peace, achieved peace in our times. It was a false peace. Hitler would later invade Poland, not too much long after that. Winston Churchill, after the events of World War II, standing at a university, talked about the United Nations as 
having the sinews of peace and a temple where peace can be achieved. And we don't need to look over the catalog of history that know that the United Nations has not necessarily achieved peace all the time. But there is one. Jesus who said this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. O God of peace, we come to you knowing that we cannot produce peace within ourselves, that it is a work of you. To provide peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to provide peace of mind, to provide peace with you, it is a work entirely of you. And so we submit ourselves even now that you would make us into peacemakers. Make us into those who seek to reconcile. Help us not to leave with a thought that we can let this disharmony linger. That we can let disunity continue. That we would all our energy pursue peace. Knowing that Christ Jesus has achieved peace. May we worship knowing that it is you working in us for your glory and our good. Amen.